Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Scott Hardinieri. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Glad to have you here. So we've communicated by email since we recorded last time. And you said, mm, I may be paraphrasing this a bit. Not sure if I got to listen to the birds as much as I wanted to, Josh. I'm not sure if I can really say anything here. To which I wrote back, you know, I'm not trying to say this is easy. I'm not trying to say this is everyone. It's like you just do it and it's, everything's done. And I invited you to share, explaining that part of why I like bring leaders on is that oftentimes leadership means they've taken steps before others. You know, you don't need a leader when it's easy. You don't need a leader when everyone knows what to do and how to do it and everything. And so oftentimes leaders allow themselves to be vulnerable before others. And I believe that someone who, if their actual experience was, I tried it, it didn't work out, or the moment we hung up, it didn't, whatever, whatever actually happened. I think that's more valuable to most listeners than I did it and it was easy. Everyone should do this. What's the problem? I mean, if someone actually had that experience, I'm happy for them to share that experience. And I hope they do. A lot of listeners have had the experience of, well, I keep meaning to, I, the lots of things. And I wonder if you could share, I, have I misstated anything? Have I gotten that? No, I think you're right on, yeah. When we spoke last, you, I had that four-day experience out in nature. You talked about birds. Can you remind us what you said and then what you committed to? Yeah, so I described, I think, a little bit of my experience with wilderness kind of rites of passage and being outside and how that has helped me listen to my truest self is like when I'm outside and especially when I'm outside and not distracted or just trying to accomplish something like yard work or whatever, like when I'm outside and just kind of being. And so my goal was to be outside meaninglessly, like that I wasn't running or, you know, doing yard work or trying to do something, but just be, pay attention, listen. And that birds in that time we talked last time were very prevalent in my backyard. And so the idea would be that I would be out there listening and tending to like curious about like how many bird songs I could hear, um, just kind of like being present to that. And in the midst of that, trusting that I could be centered for the day, that I would be healthier in my mind and heart, um, and that would allow me to be a little bit more resilient in the, the hard work of trying to address climate change and all sorts of other injustices and just like day-to-day -day problems. Mm. So... I did some of that for sure. And then I didn't, you know, it started to fall off and it got replaced with, you know, either nothing or grabbing coffee and getting right to the emails. Or sometimes I'd go for walks with my partner, Becca, or go for runs with my dog. And those were good. They were just different. Mm -hmm. And it was just at a different quality. They're both those two things, being with my wife and being with my dog and exercising are really important for my resilience as well, like for my resilience of relationships and my resilience for my physical and mental health. But it was a different quality than what I had intended. So yeah, when you reached out, I was like, well, I didn't, it didn't work. You know, like I didn't, I wasn't in, that's generally how honestly my spiritual practices have been throughout my life. So in high school, when I was attending Bible study with some Baptists, we were asked to do morning devotional or quiet time, they would call it where you would sing or write or read scripture every morning. And that was in high school. And I was really encouraged to do that. And I fail, I would start doing, it. I would do like two or three days, maybe four days, maybe a week. And then I would sleep late or I would, you know, things would happen and I wouldn't end up doing it. And so 
throughout my life, I've felt like I've been kind of a spiritual practice failure because I just, I've not made myself, I don't feel disciplined about it. And so in the midst of that, I've become a spiritual director. I'm a pastor. I've been serving congregations for over 25 years in different ways. And so it's probably ironic that I feel like not in a spiritual accomplished person. And this listening to birds and being outside to me is a spiritual practice. So yeah, that's kind of where it started. And then I can kind of go with kind of what's come of these threads of spiritual failure, if you will. And, and I know that we're not framing it in that way, but that's where I started. And that's, so I guess ongoing for me, I've discovered a sense of, of awareness of my belovedness in the world. And, and for me, it's being beloved of God, that I'm valuable or that I'm worthy or worth something to society or to the earth as, and you could say in the web of life, you know, like those pieces for me, it's rooted in my experience of unconditional love offered by the church and by my parents and others. And so through that, like it's allowed me not to necessarily let me off the hook, but to be gentle with the way I see spirituality. And so like for this time, I wasn't doing the five minutes of bird listening but what I was aware of listening to birds throughout the day. So it wasn't like in my mind, it was going to happen at eight o'clock after the kids left for school or whatever. Then I would go five minutes on the patio and I would listen, but that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But what it ended up happening is I'd be on the walk with the dog and I would pay attention to the birds a little bit more closely. Like, okay, this is good. Or so it was more, I guess, indigenous to my day than kind of artificially put in there. And when I didn't do it, I tried to be gentle with myself to say it's okay and I don't feel ashamed and that sort of thing. And that's been an ongoing curiosity for me around my spiritual practices is to be gentle with myself around those things, not to let myself off the hook. So it's a dance of like, I don't want to be completely undisciplined or like anything goes, but at the same time, what I've discovered is like the things that have been prescribed to me and you didn't prescribe the birds, it was self motivated the things that i tend to receive from the world are not necessarily my way and that's what i think you do so well is invite people to like take what they're doing already and just to be intentional about it and that's part of what i've discovered so far and then i will say also one more piece is that in the time of covid and such division and anti-racism work in our congregations and things like that there's so much going on, even for my kids in high school, like thinking of high school violence and things happening. Uh, I think it's really important for us to be kind to ourselves and to recognize that none of this is normal and for us to feel abnormal in the middle of it is okay it's, and normal. This is not okay, what we're experiencing in the world. And so for us to react in weird ways by not doing our practices or you know, like feeling bad in some ways is okay too. That it's a normal reaction to abnormal situations. I hope to engage a bit about the anti-racism, but I want to table that probably because anti-pollution has come up as like a parallel approach for me. And if you're deep into it, I'd love to talk to you about that, but I'm going to table that if that's okay. It sounded like with the birds and the time alone, I mean, you were saying it almost matter-of-factly, but it, I'm hearing you're talking about very upfront about this is a failure of the course of my whole life of something that I thought or I would like to be an important area and is an important area, but a place where 
I just can't, if I heard you right, you were saying over the course of your whole life, since school began or since in school, you've been trying to do something, but it doesn't quite click. And maybe this could have been the kickstart that got you back into it, but maybe it was not. And it would just continue the pattern from before, which might make you feel like, oh, again, although there was the experience with the four days, which I take it was you were stuck and you couldn't do anything but be there. So you could stick yourself for five minutes and hope it'll click. Did I read that right? Like maybe this would have gotten you into the habit that you wanted to do of five minutes a day of, for lack of a better word, connection, meditation, or being in the moment. Yeah. I mean, there's a general, when I've given something up for Lent or whenever I've adjusted something and I just decide I'm not going to do something for a period of time, or I am going to do something for a period of time. Like I can generally do that if the decision is made ahead of time, but for scheduling purposes, like eliminating an activity or whatever is a little bit easier because it doesn't involve like a schedule and it doesn't like, Oh, do I do it on a Saturday or uh, the kids are running late today or they don't have school today or, you know, like then how do I do that? It's all those pieces. So yeah, I think there's a yearning for me to be more disciplined. And whenever I have had moments of being disciplined in that way, like that's been a real gift. And generally that's not the way I operate. <laughs> and that's not the way, I mean, it's really, it's really difficult for me to do it that way. And so, and the birds is just one example of that. Like to me, that would be, it seemed so easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, like five minutes on your back patio doing something that's awesome. You can do it while you're sipping coffee. Like there's no real hard, diff- it's not like, you know, like run, training for a marathon or something like that. Like this is very, and I didn't even say seven days a week. I just said like five times a week do it. So yeah, there's a, I guess there's a little bit of a disappointment, but then also an awareness of like, okay, well, what, what is the thing? What can I do? And I think that's what you continue to invite people to listen for is like, what is the thing that can, and maybe it's like going back to this practice and you can do it if you just set your intentions, right. Or if you like, what were the things that got in the way of that and kind of tracking all that, or maybe you just pick something else or, you say when you're walking, you're just going to listen more deeply for the voices of the birds or the voices of your spouse, or, you know, like you just are committing to being, to pay attention to being more present or listening more. And that's not necessarily about sustainability, but it's about presence, which I think is a, you know, root cause of some of our problems is trying to either think too future or live in a world that doesn't exist anymore. Yep for the A and SMART goal is achievable. And one measure of how difficult something is, is how many calories it takes to do it or how many hours or how long it takes on the clock. And those are some measures, but of course, you know, marathon runners to go out and if that's what they dig, then a two hour run is no big deal for them. Whereas for someone who doesn't run, it might be torture. So it's how big the challenge is to us. And if Five minutes may sound from one perspective like nothing, but from another perspective, if it's like, oh, I mean, you're successful in life. If something to you looks like, if I have to do something every day at a certain time, or maybe that to you is a bigger challenge than for someone else. You know, there's some things that you do, I'm sure, that other people are like, how does he do that? I could never keep that up, or something like that. So, on the achievable part, I'm inclined to ask you or invite you to consider if we throw in the constraint, it can't be something that is like this regular thing. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but something that like hasn't worked before and might not work this time. 
I think that you might still come up with something that isn't a regular thing or isn't a, I don't know what the measure would be because you're you, I'm not you. I mean, there's certainly things that I do that people are like, how can you do that? That seems like such a big deal, like all my burpees. But there's some things that like, <laughs> I pay someone to do my taxes. I can do math. I can do spreadsheets. I can do, you know, I can do this. And it's just, no, I'm not going to do it. Like I have someone to do it. He does a great job. He knows my taxes. And I, I know I could save money. I know it wouldn't take that much time. I know I can do this. A lot of people figure it out. But that's a place in life where I decided that's not my challenge. That's not my thing. Of course, hundreds of millions of people, billions of people around the world do their taxes. <laughs> I can do this. Maybe as a result of talking to you, I'll figure it out this year or next year, this calendar year. But everyone's got their thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we put the constraint on not something that doesn't work for you, there might still be stuff that does work for you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I feel like that was, you know, like the bird piece was something that I was, <laughs> that was going to work. <laughs> you know, like I felt like that's something I enjoy doing. That's something I know is valuable to me. It's right outside my back door. I don't have to like go anywhere and do anything. So, yeah. I mean, some things have come to mind for me. And I, I try not to propose things because I think it works best when people come up with things. But I've had a couple experiences feel maybe relevant. One is that I did this exercise once, the three raisins exercise. It's in my book of eating three raisins with full intent and all your five senses. And I thought, okay, let's do it. And I, like, it took me 30, 45 minutes because I was so, I'd never paid attention so much to something and all the stuff was coming out. And for years after that, at least one meal a day, I didn't set myself to do this, but roughly speaking, like one meal a day, I would like stop and make sure that bite I really paid attention to. And eventually that faded down into just a moment of paying attention. And now I don't do it so much anymore, although my enjoyment of food has increased over time, partly as a result of that. And so even just a moment of bringing it to where I was, sometimes I'd be in a big crowded room and it's still just, you know, it didn't take any time. It was just, I'd just shut my eyes. Physically, I would just shut my eyes and didn't even tell anyone what I was doing. I would just do that. Another thing that comes to mind is um, my first experience with meditation was a 10-day retreat. And this is uh, 2007, I think. And the guy who does it is like, everyone should meditate two hours a day every day. I was like, I don't think I'm going to ever do that. I never made a med- regular practice of meditation. Up until a year, two years ago, a guest on this podcast was talking about meditation. And like this is like 10 years later. And I started meditating, not every day, not every other day. I set up a certain schedule fitting with my exercise routine. And I started doing it. And it kicked in later. Mm-hmm. Also, I have this idea that constraints breed creativity, that often when we say, okay, it has to be. If you give someone just a white piece of paper and say, just do something creative, it's really tough. Throw some constraints in there and suddenly the mind starts coming up with things in the heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this spurred anything. Yeah, that's good. That's good. The hope is to do something regularly. And I... It doesn't have to be regular. Well, that so the two pieces that are kind of new, and I don't even know if I was doing this whenever... It's an odd thing. It's very different than listening to birds. So I'll just say the one thing that's kind of new, maybe since we talked to right around whenever we started talking. And then the other thing that came up for me is... So the first thing that I'll say is an event or like a... It would be more like that retreat that I talked about, which is like a four-day, five-day kind of a thing. 
is to do another one of those. So like for me to be intentional about registering for another quest like that, another wilderness rite of passage moment. And so I've changed jobs recently. My kids, one of them's going to be graduating from high school. Like I'm in this kind of like liminal space. And I feel like as, I mean, the world is kind of in this liminal space of in-between time. And especially in the US and North America, we're in this kind of odd space. So I feel like it's a good time for me to revisit some of those principles and the ways that I kind of was able to listen to myself and to nature and to God that keeps coming up for me is like, I want to do this. And so there's like you know, of options for that. So that would be a hope. And I believe coming out of that, like it's literally fasting for that time. I usually have some awareness. It's not like my life changes drastically, but it's just like a recentering. Like there's a sense of like, okay, here's who you are and move out from there, like act in that way. So that would be one, which is, you know, that happens every 10 years or, you know, like you only do a few of them, you know, most cultures would only do it once in a lifetime or a couple of times, you know, like these big rituals. And then the other is that I've been practiced and I was saying practice, but I've been doing kind of a martial art, like learning and I'm old and I get injured and I'm really not very good at it. I don't like to get hurt, but I'm so focused during these sessions. And it's been really interesting for me to think about resilience in the midst of this kind of grappling practice. So uh, I'm trying to go twice a week and, you know, at any moment, I just think this is probably going to be my last, you know, class because I'll get armbarred or something will happen to me that it makes me not come back. But so far I'm still in it. So that's been a good, good little practice. And I think it helps me be a little more courageous in the ways that I attempt to look at uh, the problems that we face collectively. Mm-hmm. And it helps me breathe in the midst of hard things. Part of me wants to engage on the martial arts because I keep hearing I'm not done martial arts. But before that, you said about doing another retreat. And if that's something you were thinking about, and as a result of our conversation, it happened earlier than it would have otherwise. And for you, if it wasn't on a, that's not a regular thing, it's just a one-time thing. I mean, that would certainly fit the criteria of new that you're doing yourself that has some impact. And if you wanted to do that and share how it went, and if it was somehow a different experience as a result of our conversation or an earlier experience, we could leave an open-ended after you do it, or you could use this as a prompt to do it earlier. If that was something you wanted to do, I don't want to extrapolate too far from what you said. Yeah. I mean, I want to do it. And I think when you and I talked before, either just prior to the podcast or just in it, I was reminded of it and, and that kept coming up and it continues to keep coming up. Sometimes this memory and these memories come up stronger than other times. And so our conversations have raised that a little bit more for me. So I'm hoping to do something. And again, I haven't signed up for anything yet, but there's one in April and one in the summer. They're real possibilities. And it's always interesting to me to talk about it and to explore it. And the more I talk about it, the better I understand what happened during that time. And so I'd be open to having conversation with you and whether it's, you know, shows up on the podcast or whatever, I think you'd find it interesting or, you know, depending on what happened for me too. So I'd be up for that. Okay. You said April. So if I put in my calendar to email you in April to hear either how it went or how it didn't go, would that be interesting? Would that work for you? Yeah. And then I'll say I didn't, you know, I either I signed up, I didn't sign up or it's going to happen this summer or whatever. Yeah. It'd be great. Okay. Because I also don't want to, with a lot of guests, I will say, let's set a time when we talk next. But I feel like that obligation is not working for you. <laughs> I'm not sure. And to leave it open-ended and up to you, I think might be better for you. 
Yeah, especially because I may have something interesting to talk about. But because I mean, I think that if, especially if we're thinking about the kind of the quest wilderness experience, then I'd have more to be able to share with you, like in April, or, or I, I would respond back to the email. Hope you're doing well, and like you know, I'm happy to check in. I haven't made any progress on this, okay? <laughs> Which is kind of what happened last time too. So, yeah, this is what I want to give people a wealth or a diversity of experiences, and hopefully, there are people out there who are like that's the guy who that like now I feel understood or part of you know something like that. Also, before we recorded. We were talking about vulnerability and you've shared a bit of your vulnerability and you were mentioning that you talk with the groups that you work with. And I wonder if, can we go into that a bit? Do you have time? Yeah, definitely. As I've been working on ecological justice work and climate change and creation care with faith communities, we've had more and more people come to volunteer or to try to figure out what to do about climate change. And depending on what awareness they have of the science of climate change and kind of the, some of the possibilities of where we're going. There's a lot of anxiety around it. And young people in particular and older people tend to be the ones that come to me with, you know, stories of not being able to sleep or, you know, crying with their grandchildren or really experiencing depression. And so over the last few years, in the midst of that, I've been able to build relationships with some people that have experienced the same kind of need from people in their congregations or in their community. And this includes people of faith, but then also activists who are not necessarily people of faith. And so in the midst of that, about five of us got together, some therapists, chaplain, a couple of pastors, and we began to dream about having an event that would just be safe for people to come and share some of their anxieties and depression, sadness, fear. And then that kind of dreaming about that turned into, we realized one event wouldn't be enough. And so we created a curriculum with seven sessions. And those sessions explore fear and anxiety, despair, sorrow, anger, uh, shame, and guilt in that seven-week period. And so in the midst of that, we recognize that people will come to those hour and 15 minute long sessions and they will feel heard. They don't feel alone anymore. And I mean, a lot of times at the end of the seven weeks, the ones that have stayed with us want to continue. They want to figure out a way to continue this. And we've had a facilitator that's in the Netherlands and some that have been in Portland and California. So it's been uh, kind of an international experience. The Netherlands is the only place outside of the U.S. that's participated so far. But we've had about 100 people go through the workshops and we don't offer solutions at all about Mm -hmm. climate change. We are simply offering space for people to touch in. And we do a lot of kind of fail-safes around. We don't want people to be left, you know, like in a really hard place because all this is really difficult So we try to do a few different things to kind of help people not get too deep in the hour and 15 minutes. And we say it's not counseling. This is a sharing circle kind of a thing. But we imagine this kind of work to be valuable for underserved communities, rural communities, where there's less availability to have these conversations. Even in the environmental organization I worked with previously, they were neck deep in the environmental science and the understanding of species extinction and water quality and plastics and all these things. But there really wasn't much room to talk about how they were reacting to that because there's so much work to do. There are so many fires to put out that to slow down, there's a sense of 
that they will either be paralyzed by that despair or that they're wasting time. I mean, this is, I'm just projecting onto them, but that's what I felt when I was in that. Mm -hmm. And so this allows people, what we've discovered, it allows them to have space to tend to their own heart, to grow their hearts, to trust that they can handle facing it, facing the reality of this deep pain in the world. And then to recognize that through that facing the sorrow comes a renewed spirit. And so the people are more apt and more resilient. They're more available to love. That's part of what our little group has come to is like there's when people are despairing or paralyzed or crouching in fear, it's really hard to get anything done. And it's really not fun. You know, it's really hard to find love in the midst of that. So instead of focusing on hope, which is really how I started my life around sustainability. It was, it's all about hope and active hope. And I'm still into that, but there's a little bit of a pivot to say, we're really curious about love. And so hope kind of implies there's this thing that's going to happen. We're looking for this answer or this thing in the future. And love is like right now, right here, even in the midst of things that don't turn out the way we hope them to turn out, love allows us to be more alive in the moment. And I would propose that love is going to pull us out that it actually is a way of supporting a more resilient community and earth in the future so anyway there's my little sermon spiel if you like the show i recommend acting as my guests do it works best with someone supportive your spouse parents kids neighbors or friends learn the four-step process i do with my guests and describe in my tedx talks and do it together you'll find yourself acting on something you care about something meaningful whether you start big or small doesn't matter If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Well, I think that the focus on emotions especially uh, my name for the emotions that you discover slippery things like anxiety and fear and confusion insecurity i don't think you mentioned but that's one that i think a lot of people feel like when you're happy you're like hey i'm happy but when we're insecure it's hard for a lot of people myself at the top of the list to say i feel insecure i feel like people will shun me for it and i think the playing field of changing our culture and our behavior on sustainability, on climate, on deforestation, and all the things that that's our hearts and minds are the playing field. Anyone can say, well, if you eat less meat, you fly less, you drive less, problem solved. Well, people aren't flying because they want to pollute. People are flying because they want to see their mom. If I don't get to see my mom, is a cure worse than a disease? And now we're in our heads, we're in our hearts. And if we don't feel understood and someone's just telling us, well, at this number of degrees, this happens. And with this number of pollutions in the air, then that happens. And I'm like, wait a minute, but what about my mom? That's pretty important to me. When I say leadership, I try to imply that. I'm not the most effective at going to where people are. But I know that if you just give facts and instruction to someone who's confused or anxious or fatigued or you know, one of these slippery emotions... There's not a whole lot of understanding going on and not a whole lot of 
mm-hmm. addressing. And another thing that also is related to the emotions is, is our inner monologue. The thoughts that just pop out of, you know, well, the plane was going to fly anyway, or what I do doesn't matter. Only governments and corporations can act on that scale. I think it's like roughly 300 million Americans who are thinking very similar things, but they're not saying them. And so it stays in our minds and unaddressed, both emotions and the thoughts. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking I've really got to address that more. I mean, in my book, I'm trying to get at that. I say a lot more about how I take two years to fill up a load of garbage than how at the beginning I felt like, what can I do? How can I make a difference? Why I didn't act for almost my entire life up until recently, despite I knew about climate change. I knew about sea level rise. I knew about plastics when I was... I don't know, two years old, but certainly in the 70s. Actually, for the listeners, if someone wants to connect with your groups, can they connect with you? Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's the Eco Grief Circles. And the next sessions will be in the spring. So we'll have a noontime session and a Wednesday evening session. And they're fairly open. Like right now, there will be congregations that do it, but they're not Christian focused. So they're pretty open to all faiths and no faiths. And yeah, seven weeks. And creationcarealliance.org is one of the places you could find um, where the Eco Grief Circles will start, like what days and that sort of thing coming up. And I think those sign-up sheets will be up in the next few weeks, couple weeks. And I think we'll begin in February. Okay, so I'll put those links up. Great. And just another thing like that you're touching on, that the mental health uh, associations with climate change and with the impacts of climate change. So there have been you know, longer time studies around like what happens when there's a drought? What's the mental health dynamics of India when farms are drying up? You know, like what are the implications of a whole community that's displaced because of flooding, you know? And so all the symptoms of climate change, the mental health aspects are very prevalent. There's the other pieces of it that are more existential. Like, what are we going to do? Should I have children? How come I can't, I feel powerless in this. Uh, My future is unpredictable. Like some of these things that you're talking about, I feel insecure about this. Those anxieties are less, they're now just becoming more and more prevalent in people's awareness of like, oh, it's in the, you know, almost 70 here in North Carolina where I'm in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And this is very uncommon in December for these kinds of days. And it's beautiful where many people are excited about the weather and it's also horrible, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, how do you reconcile the both ends? But the American Psychological Association, I just wanted to say this, the American Psychological Association just came out with a climate and mental health report. And it's a really thoroughly vetted report about all the dynamics around the, both the symptoms of climate change and then a little bit about these kind of bigger existential questions around climate change. And that just came out like in the last three or four weeks. And I can send you that link too whenever, or you could probably just Google it and it'll show up. So it's becoming more and more. In fact, I think I haven't looked this up. The DSM, which is the kind of a dictionary of mental health conditions for the psychological world, includes like climate anxiety, I think, for the first time, this edition. And so that's kind of a new aha that, man, this is becoming a mental health issue. I do want to mention that I have faced several struggles of, do I talk about this? Do I act on this? Years ago. And to this day, one of my daily habits is to pick up at least four pieces of litter. And my neighbors help me, I put in quotes, by putting litter everywhere. So I usually pick up more like a couple dozen pieces a day without even stepping out of my path. And over the years, I started in 2017, I can get to like, how do people 
drop litter on the ground. I couldn't imagine doing it. I don't know anyone. I don't, as far as I know, I don't know anyone who would drop litter on the ground and yet it's everywhere. And even granting someone put it in trash and the wind blew it out or they're sitting in the park and they got up and just completely forgot about it. Okay, that could be, granting all that, there's still a lot that people just drop on the ground. And so I explore what's in their hearts, what's in their minds when they do this. And it gets to some pretty dark places. It certainly feels like addiction. Like tomorrow is no better than today. So why bother caring about tomorrow? And if I want to influence people like that, or even just understand people like that, I have to go there. I have to adopt that mindset and that heart. So then I can often find myself like, why bother? Fine, why don't I litter too? And it's a daily struggle of finding a way out, of recognizing myself, the world, the future, the past. A big thing for me that I've developed over time, often works, doesn't always work, is I read a report once. It said in 2100, there may be a billion climate refugees. It could also be 2 billion climate refugees. And it's easy to say, well, that's big numbers. It's also a difference of a billion people. And even if we can't reverse a lot of things, I can make a difference between a billion and 2 billion. I can make a difference. Everything I do matters. I mean, we can't stop disaster because... Nine million people died last year from breathing air. I can't change the past. It's going to be a bigger number this year. And it'll be a bigger number next year because all this pollution is from the past, which I can't change. But I can change what I do right here, right now. And I'm acting in service of others, of people who are helpless. And there's a feeling in that that brings me back. Whether this works for others, I don't know. And it doesn't always work for me. And I'm not saying that everyone has a way out. But it took time, it took effort and discovery, there's something on the other side, I guess, is maybe what I'm saying. And it's not easy. I don't know what's the longest I've been stuck in that, unable to get out. Mm -hmm. I don't know what brings me out sometimes, but I've definitely gotten in some pretty deep funks of just like, what's the point? Why don't I just enjoy life? That's pretty good. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah, this is unprepared. So I don't really know where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But eventually it's not, you're not enjoying life. Like, I mean, it sounds like the question is like, why don't I just do my thing and not worry about all this? And then eventually it sounds like that doesn't really work for you. Like you cannot shut that part off of your life and then you eventually come back. And I would say probably, you know, I've heard it said that you can't fix your mind with your mind. <laughs> and like part of what you're doing is like picking up the embodied action of picking up trash and the embodied action of like doing burpees and like it's your whole body is doing this thing and it kind of helps, I would imagine, helps kind of stir you out of your yeah. funk a little bit. When I really get out of it, then when I see people passing trash without picking it up, I'm going to overstate this, but I feel sorry for them because they could clean and yet they say, oh, well, well, someone else, you know, I pay my taxes. So, I, you know, what I say too, and after I picked up 20 or 30 pieces a day, in a given day, sometimes I'll pass something by that's right there and, and I feel like, oh, I could pick that up. And I'm not trying to pick up every damn piece of trash in the world. I mean, so when I get out of it, I feel like I don't like that I live in a world with so much litter or pick your you know, environmental problem. But given that it's there, I feel great for doing something about it. And someone will say, oh, well, this one piece of trash doesn't make a difference out of 7 billion, billion people. And yet I'm cleaning my world. Here's something that warms my heart. There's a guy that I'm working with on my webpage and he lives in New York. So when I try to meet people and go to Washington Square Park and pick up litter together and also go through the corner with a crack den now, I mean, it's really heavy drug use there. 
we're having a business meeting, but we're also picking up litter while we're talking. Fast forward to, I think the last time we spoke, and he says he saw his daughter picking up litter. And he says, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're doing that. How come you're doing that? She says, because you do it, daddy. Hmm. And he does it because we did it. Yeah. I can't tell you how heartwarming that is to hear that some, you know, two people removed. And because I get so annoyed when old people say, the young people, they'll fix our problems. I'm like, old people have the assets, the votes, we're on the board seats, we hold office, political office and so forth. We should be running rings around young people in doing things. We have so much more that we can leverage things that we can do. So now I got an old person influencing a young person. Yes. And that feels great. Yes, yes, yes. That's amazing. So people who are listening, if they're thinking, I can't get out of this funk, I don't want to say it's easy. I just want to say this is one thing that worked out for me. And it was very heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and it sounds like for you, like it allows you to be more you. And one of the things I appreciate about you is that you are constantly kind of like curious about how you might make a good impact in the world and how you might be fully alive. And you're trying to reduce your judgment of the litter bugs, you know, like that curiosity, like, how do I not be judgmental of these people? What would it look like for me to explore those places of where people could just toss a wrapper out the window or whatever? And that kind of like dance of how do I find life and not be judgmental? Like, how do I do the work without being judgmental of those that aren't doing the work. And that's a really hard dance right now in general across a lot of things, not just sustainability. And I think it's such a critical part of the conversation of how do we trust that our own livelihood, meaning that what's bringing us life is the first piece. And then whenever we don't want to feel like that, like having compassion for ourselves and then turning that compassion towards other people too. And I think that's what you're doing when you're walking near neighbors in Washington Square Park. Like that's a way of like building compassion. These are people that I can recognize on the street now. They're not just a, a face that are, it's a stranger. That's powerful. I'm mission driven. What will change our environmental outcome is changing our behavior. And most strategies, whether they're doing it intentionally or not, are coercion, seeking compliance, instruction, education of facts and knowledge, but these things don't change behavior. To change behavior on a global basis means motivations, which means emotions. And how can I find out what will lead people to a place where they want to act, where they expect that if I act, it will make my life better after I've done it? You know, it's, it's changing the direction. I think it's the most important missed area right now. I mean, it's important to find technologies or generally often use less technology, but the hearts and minds. I mean, I talk to people and they're like, look, I'm already doing this. I'm already doing that. I'm, I'm one of the good guys and done. Problem solved for them. Like they got a, an electric vehicle and they cut their meat and take by half. And their mindset, I believe, is this is something, it's a real, messes up my life. And I just want to get it out. I, I don't want to deal with this. It's such a problem. And a lot of environmentalists and journalists and politicians lead to view it that way. When someone says, here's 10 little things you can do for the environment, that little implies you don't want to do it. You get compliance and you lose the values. You reinforce the values that are driving the behavior. But I believe we have deeper values of stewardship, of clean air, clean water, clean land, but not just like a a superficial sense, but like I think it really, how deep it is in our souls. 
that of connection with nature. And most of us live in a place that's pretty paved over. So that connection is difficult. Mm-hmm. And for me, food is a big piece of it. I recently wrote a piece of the euphoria that I feel from food that Doritos will give me this, wow, a jolt when I get it. But I never noticed how much when I'm eating my famous no-packaging vegan stews, it's really like, it takes me to another place. And if I'm not paying attention, I can miss it. If I'm talking to someone or in a hurry, I can miss it. But a lot of times I just close my eyes and just like, this is great. And then I think, did people before industrial revolution or industrial agriculture, was it like this all the time? Do you ever have an heirloom tomato compared to like an industrial tomato? Mm-hmm. Do you know what they used to call heirloom tomatoes? <laughs> tomatoes? Tomatoes. That was normal. <laughs> now it's the odd thing. It's you have to go out of your way to get it. But that was, I think, the word birthright comes to mind to me a lot. It was our birthright to have the most delicious fruits and vegetables and berries. And you know, if you eat meat, they're eating like game meat. I imagine it's pretty good. And now we have to go out of our way for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a theologian out of Duke University that talks about food being like God's grace being made delicious or something like that, like connecting that idea like that you're talking about like with the creativity of God. And his name's Norman Wiersba, and he's written several things about food and faith and those pieces. But he's, yeah, he's has a similar kind of like delight in his, in salsas that he's made from his garden, you know, like, like the differences of that versus picante sauce from the store or whatever. So that's a wonderful way of being present to something that is born of the earth and nourishes you, you know, connects you deeply to the web. Yeah, I think it's out there. It's available from every leaf of every tree. Again, in the context of people who are feeling pain and fear, not easy, not necessarily easy because our society isn't geared around it. But there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, why don't we leave off here after a, a pensive moment? I'll contact you in April and we'll probably before when this post to get the links. And if something comes up, something comes up. If not, we might have another conversation like this or not, but I really appreciate your coming on. And I mean, when you wrote me, you didn't say, it didn't go as planned. I, I'm not coming back. I read a bit of, it didn't go as planned. I'm not sure what to do next. And I appreciate your opening up and sharing what happened, not what didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I appreciate the conversation and your ongoing work and your invitation to keep listening deeply to how I might be my best self in the midst of this ongoing life. So I appreciate that. Well, Scott, thank you very much. Thank you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.